Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Today, you are going to hear the conversation that I recently had with Samar Ali. And what I'd love to do right now is tell you all the really amazing and interesting facts about her background. Uh, But it would take way too long to do that. So we'll link to her bio in the show notes, and you'll hear some of it in the conversation itself. But just to give you the big overview, she is a research professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt's Law School. She is also one of the co-chairs of Vanderbilt's project on unity and American democracy. This is a new project and a very big um, effort that Vanderbilt has started and has received a lot of national coverage. Uh, She is also the founder and CEO of Millions of Conversations, a nonprofit that she started to encourage and get people who disagreed to talk to one another. So so her work is very consistent with what we do at Civil Squared and the kind of people that we talk to on the podcast. She is, of course, a lawyer. She has worked all over the world in conflict resolution in places where there is no unity. Uh, she's worked in the Middle East. She's worked in South Africa. She's worked in Europe. And when she returned to the United States after uh, doing that work, she returned to work in the Obama administration as a White House fellow. She then went back to Tennessee, where she's originally from. She's from a small town in Tennessee. And she worked in Bill Haslam's uh, administration, the governor's administration, as a state assistant commissioner of international affairs. She has done all kinds of things. And you're going to hear that she is a really, really fascinating person who has a lot to say about the subject of unity, something we very often talk about, but don't talk much about how we achieve it. And as you're going to hear, that is not something that is easily done. It requires a lot of care and thought. Uh, And Sommer has thought about this at the policy level, uh, in terms of laws, in terms of, you know, government and administration. She's also thought about it at the grassroots level, person to person, conversation, one conversation at a time. Uh, And so that makes her a really great person to talk to about things that we're interested in at Civil Squared. It's important for you to know about Summer as well, that she herself has been the subject of misinformation campaigns, of hate, um, of, of protests. And instead of distancing herself from that and saying, I'm not going to talk to people who disagree with me, or I'm not going to talk to people who actually protest me or hate me. She has looked at those things as an opportunity to better understand people with whom she disagrees and to talk with people with whom she disagrees. And so for all these reasons, she is a fantastic subject um, for learning about how to better get along and have productive civil conversations. reference to the Vanderbilt Project, it's called the Vanderbilt Project on Unity and American Democracy. And you recently, you and your co-chairs, recently had a piece in Time Magazine where you talked about unity. And there's a piece here that I just want to reference because I think it's, it's such a great way of thinking about unity. In that piece, 
you and your co-chairs, right? Unity is a little like exercise, a great idea, a noble idea, but hard and all too easy to forego. Yet history tells us that America works best when just enough of us see politics as a mediation of differences rather than as total unrelenting warfare. It is not a partisan point to observe that a change in administrations offers the country an opportunity to assess anew the purposes and possibilities of our public life. I think this idea of unity is something that we can all say, again, in theory, it's a great idea. What does it mean to achieve that? Uh, And what does that entail? And it's the kind of thing we can all want, but we can easily not pursue it. Is that Mm -hmm. really at the heart of this project? Or tell us more about the, the Vanderbilt project, how you got involved, what you guys are trying to achieve there. For people listening, what is the takeaway? Um, understanding that people have very busy lives, um, and there's you know family, professionally, personally, just um, like individually, like there's just a lot going on, and and and, and there are only so many hours in a day, um, and people have different strengths, and people have studied different things, and 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 do different things, and, and so like what does this mean for the average American? Um, what does unity mean for the average American? What's the takeaway for somebody who's listening to us talk today? And I would say that the answer is that in democracy, which is what we're doing here, um, in democracy, um, people have to see themselves in the democratic process. And that includes voting, yes. That's one of the elements. Um, people have to see and feel that that the government sees them, understands them, cares about them, is accounting for them, and that they're also working towards a common mission, a common purpose um, as well. And I think that it's that that synergy, that synergetic component, um, which is a special, um, which is which is which is what makes community and building community um, special across um, the public-private sector, which includes business community, which includes the civil society, which includes the religious community, you know, which also includes um, um, the public sector too. Um, and, and so it's all of us working together um, that makes community, that makes that public square. Um, we're all sitting at, you know, we're all coming into this public square together. And right now the public square is in many ways has been digitized. And so we're figuring out how to communicate in a digitized public square, um, which is also interacting with a physical public square um, too. And so it's that interconnectivity of which we're understanding each other through too that that we're focused on. So what does that mean for somebody who is listening to us today? Um, And and where, how could, and so I think it gets to, and this is part of the work we've been doing at Millions of Conversations on the grassroots level. And that's, um, that is uh, learning how to listen to each other, um, humanizing and not demonizing, uh, calling out when we see messages that demonize the other. Um, and I'm going to talk about in a minute why that's so important. Um, and at Millions of Conversations, we call this the seven steps to sustainable peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and unity helps realize sustainable peace through positive compromise, which is mutual agreement. Um, and, and, and so we're about positive compromise over negative compromise as well. Um, okay, can I, can I stop you that. just for a second? Yeah. When you talked, so you used unity there and you talked about agreement. 
when I do think when people are thinking about unity or they're thinking about, you talk about communities working together, we often associate that, or we, I think mistakenly associate that with, we've all got to be on the same page. We can't have difference anymore. Right. I don't know any society where there's not difference. And I've traveled to over 60 countries. I've traveled (laughs) and worked in over 60 countries and there's not one country that I've been in where everybody is on the same page. Um, So I think this, I I always find it fascinating that people think that unity means we're all on the same page. Um, I think that what it actually means is that we have a common purpose that we're working towards and that that we need, we have have at least two or three things that we can agree on that better society that we will work on together, recognizing that we're not going to agree on everything. And even our approaches to our approaches to these solutions can be different, but not so different that we want to burn it all down. Yes. Not so different that we don't want it to work for anybody. What we actually want is and also getting back to what is government's purpose? What is the purpose of government? What is the role of government in our lives? We all drive on roads. How did the interstate system come about? Well, it came about, we didn't always have the interstate. Right. The interstate was actually realized through compromise. The actual um, building out of the interstate system in the Eisenhower administration came through compromise that was realized by both sides of the aisle. They didn't agree on everything. Well, and it's it's funny. That's a an awesome, awesome example, by the way. I, I love the interstate system as an example because it's this amazing thing that connects us all, right? And it's mm-hmm. a huge undertaking. But if you look into the history of it, there's so much in terms of states and everything else. So I think this is a great point to talk about compromise too. When you think about where we stand today, and you mentioned the sort of the electronic and the physical space um, and all that. But when you think about where we stand today and you think about this issue of being able to compromise and whether we require agreement, I take it that one of the things you are most concerned about in all the work that you're doing is, yes, we can have difference. Compromise is important. And for a long time, that's been something that has worked very well for us. But we are somehow in a different space today in terms of our ability to compromise with one another. And that's, and that's because we, we look at difference and see, let's burn things down. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that fair? I, I, think it's, I think it's complex. Okay. I really, truly do. I think that, I think that um, there, is a, there is a fundamental feeling um, for different reasons across America right now that systems are not working the way that they should, that there is not, that people do not feel that um, there's justice, that there is equality, um, that there is a, there, there's functionality, there's mutual respect, that there's reciprocity, um, that there's a sense of belonging, that there's this, there's this, so many people in this country, in the country right now, when I listen, um, I hear from, for different reasons, feel that they don't belong. And so I think that what we need to have is we need to build consensus around what does it mean to belong in America today? What is the shared American identity? What does that mean? Um, And what does it mean to be an American? And what are, what, are, what, are, what are a few of our shared values? We might have on, on some things, we might have different values, but I do think 
we have two or three common values, at least, that we share. Um, and when I speak to people, I hear them talk about one of the values that they feel that Americans share is hard work, for example. Another is respect for the Constitution. Um, and they consider that to be, and people consider that to be a value. Uh, you know, I, I would say free speech, um, the ability to speak freely, to have opinions, to have voice, to, to voice those opinions, um, and 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 to want to build community around them, yeah. and to have the, um, uh, the the flexibility and the ability to do that without that being criminalized. And there are many parts of the world of where the, that kind of um, community building activity around free speech is criminalized. Yeah. Um, we're seeing that in Hong Kong right now. That's why some people are leaving Hong Kong. And, and so I think that, and, and I myself having worked for um, a law firm of where I, um, for, for a period of time, American law firm, um, for a period of time, I was in a country that did not, um, that was not in it, did not respect democratic principles, it was not governed by democratic principles, rather. And, and I found that actually the Americans who were expats in that country struggled the most. Um, and in part, it is because it is ingrained in our being of being of, of, of um, wanting to live in an environment and in a place that respects freedom of speech. Yeah. Now, what we're seeing here is that some people are arguing that that means authorizing um, environments um, cruelty. That is not what we're talking about here. Right. We're not talking about speech that incites violence. And we're not talking about hate speech. Um, and we've been having these, this is, this is also from a, from a legal standpoint, this is an area of the law, which is actually arguably not gray. Um, and so it's like if somebody shouts fire in a movie theater, that's not protected. Right. By the First Amendment, right? So you know, so we do have lines. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, but I think this is really important because you just described these values, and you and and I, I recognize you're not saying that this is the the exhaustive list of values we might agree on, but there's a list. There are some values that we agree on. Free speech being one of those. You know, respect for the Constitution, hard work, those kinds of things. We can agree on those values. We can disagree about how we achieve those values although we have things that do constrain that like law. Um, but in all cases, we do need to be able to answer, we need to be thinking about and answering the question of what does it be? What does it mean to be an American? And I've, I've heard you speak elsewhere. What does it mean to belong in America? Where you say, based on the, the professional experience you just, you just referenced, you've been in places where people can't answer the question of what does it mean to belong? What does it mean to be a part of this? And what's the cost of not being able to answer that question? Part of the cost is the realization of the human potential and communal potential and the national potential. Um, uh, you know, of, and, and we, this is our generation. And, and, and when we think about, for example, um, the 20th century's greatest generation, we let, let, you know, here we are um, in the 21st century. And what is our legacy going to be? What is our generation's legacy going to be? Will we realize our potential? Can we realize our potential like this? And arguably, have we ever collectively realized our potential? And, and so I think that let's say if we are all equal here in the United States and 
we, and we're, as we say in Project Unity, we're working for a more perfect union, we're working towards a more perfect union where we're, we, we, we take seriously the pursuit of happiness. We improve our systems, we better our systems so that they serve the people that they are, that they are, they exist to serve better, more equally, more hopefully. Then what can we actually accomplish together? And I think that that's the wholeness that we're looking for, that full, that full individual expression of self. Um, and that then builds into communal expression of self. That then builds into regional, that builds into national. And that, if it's done correctly, models um, a system that globally inspires yeah. and, and drives impact. And, and so you don't have to have a college education in America today to contribute to the American purpose. And I think that that's, so, so many of my friends, for example, most, the, most, the majority of people that I went to high school with did not go to college. And I'm, in, I'm still in touch with many of them too. And what I would say is I don't feel superior because I went to college. I don't feel that my work is more important in any way. I feel it's different. Sure. And I know that we feel that that's that mutual respect that's there. And I think that when I hear people also talk about that we have an elitism problem, we need to take that seriously. People are communicating something to us when they say that. And that's what we're getting about this listening piece of listening. That's for someone to tell you, I feel like you are being elitist. They are expressing vulnerability. And I think that if you, again, like, and, and you're, we're hearing people who are coming out and also saying, don't shame me, count me. I want to belong. I want to belong here with you. I want to build community, not necessarily on just my terms. I want to join in conversation about what that looks like. I want policies to be made that serve all of us. Yeah. And I also understand, though, that some of the reasons the policies aren't serving us and have not served us are for different reasons. Yeah. I, but I think it's a huge step to get to the point you said, you know, um, there's vulnerability in expressing that I feel like we have a problem of elitism. There's vulnerability in being a participant in a conversation, right? If, if, yeah. if, you, if you really just want to kind of like throw criticisms at people or yell at people or dismiss people, you're not going to ever get involved in a conversation in the first place. Let's forget uh, the humanization. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it takes, so one of the things we've found in doing programming, it isn't that there aren't people who have a desire to be involved in conversations. There is a lack of trust in engaging in the conversation because it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right. People are worried they're going to be dismissed or yeah. That's why also, that's why it's, it's so important at the beginning of a conversation to set the set the boundaries. Um, and we have a listening guide um, at Millions of Conversations, which is called a listening guide, um, and it's it's a part of our pledge to listen platform. Um, and at and we talk about how you set those boundaries, how you set the principles and the norms um, for the conversation with regards to, and, and you mutually agree. So you model unity, you model compromise. Um, also to say this, I, and mutual respect of saying, if I don't feel safe in this conversation, this is what it means for me to feel safe. Um, I, 
you know, for some and from actually for everybody, it is, I need to recognize, you need to, I want you to recognize my equality, that I am equal to you as a human being. Can, and that, that grounds people. When you have that conversation, it really, and, and I've done this so many times with people, it truly does ground them. And, and people begin to um, lean into their better side um, and say, okay, you know, I, I, I see you. There's, there's a saying in, Afri in, in, um, in parts of Africa, when you show up, like, I, I see you, I see you. And, and so it's to say like, you know, this is very personal, this is deeply personal, this is my existence. You know, so we're not gonna say we're not gonna get emotional. We, might, we likely will get emotional. It'd be abnormal if we don't. This is deeply personal. Yeah. But how do we turn this into systems that work for the, for the greater good? Yeah. And, and that gets into the question that you asked me also just to, to tie back into that about how I got involved with Project Unity um, and, and um, how this all came about. And in part, it came about because of my skill set. Um, I am a um, peace practitioner. I'm a conflicts resolutions negotiator, mediator. Uh, my background training is in law. Uh, I've worked in economic development um, with one of my co-chairs and for one of my co-chairs, Governor Haslam in the state of Tennessee. I also worked in the Obama administration as a White House fellow, where most of my portfolio was focused on national security, including homeland security. Um, and I worked as a corporate lawyer, uh, trained as a corporate and human rights and civil rights lawyer. So I work at the intersection of economic development, um, human and civil rights, and national security. And I oftentimes say that you really can't have national security without a respect for human rights and civil rights. Hmm. And it's really difficult for you also to realize sustainable peace if you don't have a functioning economic development model that works, that is, that is inclusive and works for as many people as possible. It's that intersectionality and approach um, and, and modeling of that and following best practices that um, I believe at least help us realize our um, destination of unity. I, I think uh, a lot of people would think those sound like, I mean, I can imagine somebody saying, oh, those are the kind of skills, the skills that you have are really important at a national level. How do you, like, why, how can you translate that down to the individual level, which you're really interested in as well? Yeah. Yeah. And which they do at millions of conversations and you can't yeah. have national impact if you don't have local involvement and engagement. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. That, especially as, as we're structured as a Republic, we're 3,142 counties. Yeah. Top down doesn't work. Yeah. But when you have bottom up, top down coming together and, and meeting in the middle, it does work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so this, I know I, I I'm asking you about different parts of what you're doing. It's because you do so many things that are relevant to all these pieces. Uh, millions of conversations, you are talking one-on-one -on -one or talking in small groups, right? That is part of it. Talk, can, so when we're talking about the Unity Project, we're talking about at the, at the sort of policy, thinking in part at the policy level and that, but in millions of conversations, this is a very personal thing for you and a face-to-face a -face kind of conversation thing. Can you talk about there, the history of it and how how you got started and what you're doing with millions of conversations. 
Sure. And I would also say that I think policymaking is also, uh, it touches us personally as well. For and sure. It influences our day-to-day lives. For sure. um, and, and part of what we, what we need as a democracy is also to be communicating with entrepreneurial politicians what it is that we want. Um, because ultimately the people that we elect work for the pe- we the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we need to be effective in communicating that. Um, and 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 there have to be you know consequences if the people that we're electing don't 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 serve us adequately. We started the organization to really uh, understand how to counter dis and misinformation campaigns and how to disrupt cycles um, of fear, anger, hate, and violence, um, and, and, and how we do that effectively, um, and to really understand the complex problem um, that is fueling this dis and misinformation um, that we're experiencing, which is leading to this, these, these cycles of fear, anger, hate, and violence. Um, and so we worked really closely for a number of years in, 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 in studying the problem, understanding the problem, and um, working with MNC Saatchi to understand what messages could counter the toxic messages, which are demonizing the other. Mm. And, then, and then how we could, and then and we piloted a number of different programs at, at the local level across the country to understand what that looks like. Um, and then we realized what works and what doesn't work. And then we, we started millions of conversations of a campaign effort which is is designed to bring Americans together to transcend divides by bringing Americans into the public square around um, common values committed to a shared future. Um, And so we believe that if we can bring people together to see uh, in a process too, because lots of times people are looking for a silver bullet answer. Like if I just have one conversation, um, then I'm good. Again, yeah. can I just tell me how to have that conversation and then I'm going to realize unity and then I'm going to realize sustainable peace. Yeah. And it's actually, um, it, because we're dealing with a complex problem, we're going to have to have a complex solution and that's what we're designing. Um, and that, that, that helps support an ecosystem that includes every county in America, that includes organizations across America, that includes grassroots efforts. You know, we look at ourselves at Millions of Conversations as an organization that's helping develop that ecosystem, that's supporting that ecosystem. Um, that's, that's one of the flashlights in that ecosystem. That's We designed this process, of that seven-step process that I mentioned to sustainable peace, um, and we're doing that work to, to re- replace the negative norms that so many people are rightfully resisting right now and replacing them with positive norms that creates a functioning society, which moves us away from authorizing environments of cruelty and replaces them with functional, peaceful norms that counters the cruel behavior that we're all um, having a visceral re- and rightfully a visceral yeah. reaction to. Yeah. Um, and it's how we do this. We do that through media messaging. We do that through programming. We do it at the local level. Um, and we've, one of the things we've done is created this toolkit so that people can have these conversations at, with, with, with their, their family and their friends' networks. We encourage people to create media content that place that because what things that we've we, we've seen is that people trust their friends and family about yep. all other sources right yep. now, and we know that. Yep. Um, and so one of the ways we're going to counter this dis and misinformation that's traveling at the speed of light that's purposely demonizing people is through this mechanism that we've developed in minds of conversations. Yep. Um, 
we got a number, again, I mentioned a number of different programs that helps for people to do that. But I would just say, if there's one thing I left everybody with today, it's to understand there is no silver bullet answer, but do not get overwhelmed yeah, because yeah. the answer is actually at the individual level. We, you can play a, your small part that you think is small is actually everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think is this is the answer. I think this is so, so important. You talked about the the fact that people can think, well, I'm going to have this one conversation, take whatever subject you want it to be, right? It could be about something political, it could be about something cultural, that I'm going to have this one conversation, and that's going to be the end of it, right? Like I will have solved the problem. And that that isn't how things work. And I love the idea of millions of conversations being a part of an ecosystem, uh, because there are lots of things happening and lots of different things. And, and on an individual level, we need different, we need different solutions or path to solutions because we're all different and we have different preferences and things like that. And there's no silver bullet, but just as you said, it can easily become overwhelming. Um, when you talk, I'm, I'm thinking when you're talking about sustainable peace, I think people can see this in kind of a linear way. Like we're going to do X, Y, and Z and we'll have sustainable peace. Sustainable means ongoing, but it doesn't mean like just one line, right? It's mm-hmm. not helpful because we're doing this in audio and I'm making hand gestures, but it's not like, it's not like this thing that just hums along. Sustainable means there's ups and downs. The overall, right? The trend, I guess, mm-hmm. is peace. And that takes lots of different people doing lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out before, agreement about some basic things or about some fundamental characteristics, I guess, or values we want to aspire to um, and practice but that, uh, yeah, I mean, when it really comes down to it, each one of us has some important local knowledge that nobody else is going to have about what's most effective in our realm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And modeling is also important, modeling the behavior. Um, and and, and um, at the same time, acknowledging um, it, what has worked in the past and what has not worked in the past. Okay. And, and being secure enough um, to admit that we have a flawed past. There are things we've done that we should be proud of. There are things we've done that we should not be proud of. When you're secure as a society, you can, you can admit both. Yeah. yeah. And that's an important, that's where the history piece comes in too. Um, and I'm, in case you, I'll let you in on a little secret, I'm not the historian. Right. Um, my co-chair. But that's that's what you have good representation in your co-chair, John Eaton. <laughs> so I'll leave I'll leave it to him to pontificate on this. But I will say as a layperson, um, that history matters. Yeah. You know, we need to look yeah. and figure out, we have to understand um, what is what do, what is work that we need to continue doing moving yeah. forward and what is not, not that we don't just need to, what with regards to what has not, not, and it, we, know, we don't only need to ad, address um, saying we don't want to do that again, but how do we create or change systems that allow for us to account for the past? mistakes too. And that why I'm getting that too is in the shared future where people need to see themselves, that does get to the equality piece because people want to see a system that respects them as equal Mm -hmm. and where they have that shot 
and the tools and the resources and the investment in a system that believes in them just as much as we are asking them to believe in that system. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's that reciprocity. Reciprocity is at the heart of all of us. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Um, Do you think people are, and I say that, I mean, people are so different. It's hard to just sort of monolithically say people. But I I mean, you talked at, at the beginning of our conversation about the sense that people have that we're not doing as well as we can, that we are frustrated with where we are, that um, it feels sometimes whatever it is feels like an overwhelming problem. Um, and, and I'm just going to I'm going to say, like, if you take the events of, of January 6th and use that as kind of a concrete example of the 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 you know, end of the spectrum in terms of frustration work, we, nobody can look at that and say, yeah, things are working really well, right? Like that's a bad thing. And it's a bad thing for all of us. And that frustration, that sense of things are not going right. And we're not, we're, we're far away from unity. Um, but regardless of where we fall on the political spectrum, do you think it's fair to say that um, most of us would really prefer to find a way to to engage in things where we have reciprocity, where we are listening to one another, where we are respecting, even if we're not all acting that way right now, that that's a part of what it means to be a part of America? I mean, like that we we want to, even when we disagree, we want, you, you mentioned hard work, right? I mean, I think these are things that we can look at and say, well, you know, I might be very different than my neighbor. I am very different than my neighbor, right? In terms of what I do for a living, in terms of my political preferences, in terms of um, how I live my life and all that. But but we're part of the same neighborhood and I want for her, and I think she wants for me to be able to do the things that kind of help us flourish as human beings. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the best of all worlds, regardless of those differences that we have, we would be engaged in a common project where we would have reciprocity. We would listen to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people could look at what's going on in the world and say, no, I don't think people are like that. And I hope that's not the case. I hope we don't believe that about each other. I hope we do believe that reciprocity is, is something we all want to aspire to. Well, I think that humans are capable of, 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 of adhering to different norms. And that's where it gets to norm setting. And that's where what I'm talking here about in regards to the role of community sure. and, the role, and the role of setting those principles of those values of how we exist together. Um, and, that, and the how piece is important because it's not only how we agree, it's also how we disagree um, and having conversations about how we're going to disagree. Yeah. So I'll agree to disagree. What does that mean? Um, where, where are, where, what are the issues that we compromise? We need to have a conversation around what are the issues we need to find compromise on and what are the issues we're not going to find compromise on. And for the issues that we don't find compromise on, how does that impact those issues that we do need to find compromise on? For example, infrastructure in the 21st century, for example, the role of the internet in our lives and social media. Um, how should social media and, and technology companies be regulated? Should they be regulated? Um, do we need to reach a compromise on that? Mm-hmm. Um, and monopolies, um, you know, I just think there's there's a number of different uh, 
campaign finance. There's a number of different issues of which we can have conversations around, which perhaps we need to find compromise on um, in the name of our American purpose, in the name of American democracy, in the name of democratic principles. Uh, and I think though, going to this back to this piece of like how we disagree, the how, mm-hmm. how, 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 um, and how without harm and how we define harm. And, um, and, and a commitment to how we are going to coexist. Do, do, have we decided that we want to be as inclusive as possible? The majority of us made those to, that decision that we want to in the 21st century. I keep saying the 21st century because we're at the beginning of the century. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be set, we're setting the tone, we're setting the pace, we're setting momentum um, um, for generations to come. And I think that also we have that responsibility to think about the present and the future. Um, and, and, and we can't do that if we're, if we are, we, we can't solve these complex problems if we are demonizing each other, yes. if we're dehumanizing each other. I just don't see a way forward um, in that context. I've never seen that work. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and I'll say this too, having um, worked as a mediator to the Syrian conflict for the number of years that I did last decade, which was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, the, all the different sides to that conflict. Um, several years in, I would ask a question to different people, um, including the people who were the revolutionaries who started at, at, who, who started the protests. And I said, was the civil war worth it? The Syrian civil war worth it? Do you think it was worth it? And, and I asked you, asked it, I have a tone in my voice that's indicating how, where I think the answer goes. But when I asked the question, I was neutral in asking mm-hmm. it. And the answer I got every time, the one thing that everybody agreed on was that it wasn't worth it, that the violence wasn't worth it. Because so many people I was, I was speaking to had lost family members. They said that they wanted regime change. They wanted change. But they didn't get the change in that way. And the violence was too much. And I would say on that, when I, when I say we don't want violence, what I'm not saying is we don't want change. Yeah. I'm saying it's how we realize the change. Yeah. Let's come to an agreement on how we peacefully realize that change. Yeah, and we're not ever going to be able to come to an agreement about how we realize that change if we can't listen to one another and we can't listen to people. We won't listen to people if we demonize them. Mm-hmm. Right. We have, we have to see people as human beings and all the goods and bads and everything else as complicated creatures and accept that it's, it's not either or, right? That we, mm-hmm. we, we have to be able to recognize that about one another. You were talking about, I see you, right? I see you. I recognize that. I see you. And, and, and now we can listen to one another because we see each other. Right. Yeah. I th- yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that that's definitely part of it, and I think it's also about recognizing the power and the importance of incentives. So, incentivizing behavior, um, and and we and we have ways to do that. And and I think like we need to have conversations around that too. We need to have honest conversations about how we share power, what healthy sh- power sharing dynamics in a democracy looks like. Um, and, and, and so that, because that's going to be important and with regards to, and on a number of levels, including how we feel we fit in to the shared future. Um, 
And that moves us into this conversation around this kind of scarcity mindset versus growth mindset. America for, I would argue, and I'd have to ask my coach here, the historian, but I think that for the majority of, I think, I think we've been known at least um, the perception of America has been that um, we usually have a growth mindset. Um, right now we've sort of slipped into this kind of like scarcity mindset. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to make this pivot because we can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to help us. It's going to help us realize our communal potential, our country's potential, our national potential, our individual potential, if we do that. Yeah. Not a zero sum kind of if this, if, if zero I, sum. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, if I ahead. succeed here, you, somebody else has to suffer or there isn't enough. There can't be in this sense, wealth creation of communal kind of activity, wealth creation in the term, in terms of social capital, right? Um, mm. That we can grow that, that we can grow solutions to things. We grow opportunities. Going. We yeah. grow opportunities for people. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we give people the tools yeah. um, to, again, to contribute to society. I mean, this is one of the reasons why our intellectual property laws are, are admired the world over. It's one of the reasons we're the most innovative, arguably the most innovative country in the world. Um, you know, I mean, there's a reason some of the things that work really, really well here work. Um, and so, and it's, it's that leap of faith and that belief in society too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the growth mentality of, of, of trusting and believing in your neighbor. If you're constantly looking over your shoulder and you don't trust your neighbor and you're like, you're just like, I don't know about that guy or whatever, you know, like, and that's how you're existing in that toxic state. I'm not sure exactly how that yields growth. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it also just seems like when I, it's like, it seems like it's a, you know, I've never seen somebody say to me, I just want to be, I just want to, I just want to live in a state of, of absolute toxicity. Yeah. I just want a toxic environment around me. It's pursuit of happiness. I find it so interesting as to why those words are in this country's founding documents. That phrase, it's powerful. It is. Um, I have been sort of monopolizing asking you questions and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the things that um, and the places where people can go to learn more about what you're doing. But before I do that, there's one really important thing that I think is relevant to uh, as individuals think about what they can do and about your experience. I've heard you speak about taking, uh, taking disagreement uh, or the demonization, those kinds of things. And, and in the face of that, looking at it as an opportunity to engage in a discussion with somebody to change their perception. And I think this is really, really important because I think if we look at disagreement or we look at somebody being critical of us um, and say, I just don't want it. I don't want to be a part of that. It's just, and, and it is more comfortable not to have to engage with that, right? But to look at it as an opportunity and to make yourself even more vulnerable by inviting someone to talk more. Uh, it seems to me your own experience and, and the way you think about things, that is such a powerful point of view to say, here's an opportunity not to walk away, not to look at this other person or these other people and say, I know what they think. I don't want to engage with them anymore, but to say, Let's, let's do more. Let's talk more. Yeah. No, I, I, so I'm, 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 so I, I'm a big believer in modeling what you, what you preach, um, practice what you preach. And, and so I just think I would be incredibly hypocritical if I didn't, if I, if I didn't do that. Um, 
I mean, I grew up in a small town um, and I, I grew up as a Muslim girl uh, who's a Palestinian American, a Palestinian Syrian American. My father's Palestinian, my mother's Syrian. Um, and um, my sister's Catholic, my oldest sister's Catholic and, and I, there's a family of five of us. Um, and my whole thing is like, I just sort of um, growing up in that small town, I, I just, that's, that's normal to me. Um, what I'm doing is normal. Um, it's not abnormal. Uh, and, and so, um, and it's a choice too that you make. Um, you can choose to hate and you can choose not to. Um, you can choose to engage, you can choose to humanize. And, and if somebody's dehumanizing me, I'm not gonna dehumanize them back. And I'm gonna, you know, I, 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 my, I have a, a principles and values in a constitution that I live by. Um, and that includes um, humanizing people. And so that's not, I'm not saying I'm better than somebody because I don't demonize. I'm just simply saying that's how I have chosen to exist. Um, and I believe in that. And, and I believe in humanity too. And I believe that the majority of people choose that way. And, and so I oftentimes tell people, like people ask me how I'm so optimistic or et cetera, why I think this will work. And I said, you know, if you don't believe in humanity, then you probably, you shouldn't listen to what I have to say. <laughs> You're wasting your time. And I'll just be upfront about that. Yeah. You do believe in humanity. Um, and you do believe in the good of humanity and the power of humans to, 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 to do good things together. Then this is, this is the formula for you. Um, and you can do this. That's the thing too, like people are almost like, you know, scared and, and because again, those emotions are mixing. There's a lot of emotions going on um, behind this. And, you know, Project Unity is focused on facts and evidence and truth as we should be. And also Millions of Conversations is focused on, on, on feelings um, and, and, and how we connect with people who are being targeted by toxic messages. And, and that's also as we should be. And it's that combination there. And I think that, you know, going, to, going back to this, the point that you, the specific point that you asked me, you can have a lot of fun with, um, with people when you have this breakthrough moment together of where you think, where the other person thinks has dehumanized you. And they, and they move towards in this process of which you witness yourself of where they humanize you in a way of where they're humanizing themselves because to dehumanize somebody else if you believe in the concept of ubuntu is to dehumanize your own self <laughs> and that's the power of humanity and i've seen this firsthand happen so many times people who have literally broken down into tears with me and i've given them that space to have and that's important too people giving each other the space to have those moments that are not force where you don't push somebody you pull them along and i should just make one other point on this because i think it's important this is not all about an exercise in changing someone's views yeah. on a policy issue yeah. and 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 it's not all about converting somebody what i'm talking about is this here specifically is humanizing yeah it's changing what is is is, is moving from dehumanizing someone of depoliticizing their identity and shifting over to um, humanizing them. Yeah. So you yeah. disrupt that cycle. So that gets into the, once you've humanized, which is the whole entire process, which will require another conversation to get into, then you can get into a way in which, uh, a, a civilized way of how you're going to disagree. Yeah.
Yeah. Because if you shut down and you dehumanize someone, it will lead to fear, it will lead to anger, it will lead to hate. And in some instances, it'll lead to violence. In their minds, they'll justify the violence. I think um, we talked to Tanya Israel a couple months ago, and she's a psychologist at UC Santa Barbara. And, and one of the things she talks about is when you're thinking about engaging in these conversations, thinking about your goals in those conversations, and 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 just trying to persuade someone of a different viewpoint. One, you should ha- you should be skeptical about your ability to do that. But two, uh, it's it's maybe one of the least interesting things that can happen as a result of a conversation. Understanding having more understanding of someone else, learning from someone else. Those are all things that are really important and, and far more complex and rich than, you know, debating or trying to convince someone of a particular point of view. But, but as yeah, you say, yeah. you, you can't have any of that until you've actually. Yeah. I don't also, so it's so interesting too, is there's so much suspicion around um, like around, uh, uh, around positive engagements these days. I mean, sometimes I want to say, why, I mean, are you suspicious I mean, what, what, I, what I think people should be suspicious of is all of the negative targeting that's demonizing an entire group of people. When, whenever I see any type of um, video clip that's like, you know, demonizing a group, I ask, what agenda is that serving? Yeah. Whose agenda is that serving? I, I do think in terms of, of looking at that, kind, because there is so, there are so many things that are um, in media prevalent about that, that do seem to demonize or to push people into, um, you know, sides or tribes or whatever else uh, that we have to, and we've had a number of people say this to us as well. We, the, when faced with all of this information, the best thing we can do is have sort of a diverse diet of information but also to not uncritically consume information, right? That we have to step back and say, as you just described, you know, what's it, why is this here? Why is, what is somebody doing with this? Um, and that's, that's tough to do when information comes at you as fast as it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases is designed to make you not ask those questions, I think, but to just play on the emotion. So, well, and I think it's the thing, pay attention to your emotions. If you're yes. watching something and you're, and you're getting angry, you're getting upset, Versus when you're like, oh, okay, that's, I, I you know, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In a good way. Yeah. What else do you want people to know about the work that you're doing or others that you're working with? Uh, and also that they, and again, we'll link to all this in the show notes, they can find more about you, hear about what you're doing, get excited about it and do the kinds of things that you're talking about that, that positively impact them and people around them. Yeah, thank you for that. And and I would say, first off, um, I would encourage everybody to take the pledge to listen, um, which is on the Millions of Conversations website. And from there, you'll get a toolkit, which um, is a listening guide that, um, and we want to hear from you and, and, uh, and in terms of how it works for you and your, in your home environment and community. Um, we have a conversational series that um, also you can sign up for when you take the pledge to listen, which um, is a monthly series of where we model these conversations. Um, and then the second thing is if you're interested and you've got more time, we have a listening facilitators program um, that we've built out of where you can become a listening facilitator with millions of conversations and host these um, and train people also in your home community um, and 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 go through that process and we have a workshop set up for that and then third I would say you know placing and and you can you can send it to us if you need help with editing but placing media content digitally um, on your social media sites that um, 
uh, in that, that really kind of speaks to positive norm setting behavior, not lecturing people, but rather demonstrates that um, in ways, um, because that's going to be that's going to be rather um, helpful in disrupting these cycles that I'm talking about. Um, and then with Project Unity, I would um, I would I would um, um, encourage you to sign up for our events and our newsletters and to just be in touch uh, but with your ideas uh, and your comments and your feedback. We are listening to that very closely. Um, and this is a, a national exercise, as we talked about with, you know, it's like a little bit like eating, you know, like a diet. Um, it's a little bit like exercise. It's, it is um, going to, in order for this to work, we need to hear from you. I particularly love the piece about social media because I do think that is one of those areas where people are often, I'm either going to, you know, have to get off of it. I'm going to have to block people, whatever. I love the idea of putting positive content out there. Um, and tag us, tag at, tag at a million conversations. Um, and we will, we will, you know, we'll retweet, we'll repost, um, it on Facebook, we will amplify and we will ask our partners to do the same. So, um, please, you know, involve us in that process. And if you've got questions about it, reach out info at millions of conversations.com. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Cause we know you're busy and we really appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. There's there's so much uh, I learned from Sommer, and I think there's so much we could all learn from her and from her experiences. I think the main thing that I will take away from our conversation uh, is this. So we can be engaged in disagreement with people in our lives, people who are close to us, people who aren't that close to us, right, on social media and things like that. And it's very easy to be hurt by someone's criticisms of us, of their characterization of our ideology or a political point of view, and to say, it's not worth my time to talk to this person. Uh, It's also scary to have to talk to people who are really critical of your point of view or of the things that you support. But I think if, if Sommer can do that with people who put up billboards against her, who spread... Uh, lies about her and about who she was in her community, uh, where she grew up, and protest, you know, her appointment um, in the Haslam administration. If, if she can do that with total strangers who spread just vile things about her, I think we can probably, each of us, find a way to talk to people who are connected to us, who are close to us, recognizing and acknowledging that that's scary, but it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to understand and it is an opportunity to learn. And so the next time I think I think about walking away from something or dismissing something because I disagree with it, I'm going to remember her experience and the amazing ways that she has taken those opportunities to help others have important conversations and to better understand one another. And I think that's, that's an amazing lesson and an amazing model. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.